I'm so glad that I gave you guys a listen because without you guys, I would have gone home from Pebble on Saturday night, Sunday morning, instead of uh, on Monday morning. And welcome back. Welcome aboard a very special part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. We've got my partner in crime, Mr. Matt Cermak, with me. What's up, Ev? Good to be back. We normally, so to give you guys context, we normally download after an interview before we record this intro. This intro particularly, we jumped right into the intro because Cermak said something that I wanted to make sure we didn't expand on so that he says it live on the intro. What did you say? This interview is a game changer. I agree. I concur. Before we get to that with Damon Hack from Golf Channel, guys, if your golf game is off the rails, if you're sick of riding the struggle bus, this episode is for you. Okay. The part train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course, because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. The part train podcast unpacks the mental game with PJ tour pros, bestselling authors, CEOs, sports psychologists, everyday golfers like you and me and golf channel hosts like Damon Hack and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track, baby. This episode is presented by Roback Activewear. It is getting cold in Southern California, under 60 degrees on my oh. morning walk. So I had to put on the joggers and the hoodie. It's the uniform. You really struggle with the 60 degree stuff. Yeah. Oh, sometimes if it gets <laughs> under 60, you got to put the vest on over the hoodie. Which is a smart play though. Very, Very smart, play. smart play. So go to rowback.com, enter the code train, get yourself 15% off. If you forget the code, tap these show notes, tap that link, or go to our bio at the par train on Instagram. And there's always a link in there. Tap that link. It'll auto apply in your cart. So you don't need to worry about the code. If you forget it, just um, get more rollback guys. If you, we, we know you already have. Some, oh, actually get, let me back. share this. I just got a text from our editor who we sent his first stuff of um, rollback. Brett says, dude, this stuff just got here and it's legit in caps. Thank you again. He's ecstatic and he's never had rollback before. So everyone reacts that way. Get yourself some rollback. Shout out to our editor, Brett. And Thanks, Brett. this is, I think one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. And part of it is kind of a pinch me moment. Part of it, I feel just so grateful and humbled that a guy like Damon Hack, who you all know, you've seen on the Golf Channel, been in the industry forever, interviewed Tiger Woods 25 plus times, feels like he's almost having a rebirth with his relationship of the game, thanks to our podcast, which is like, you know, Sir, it's just you and me. We're in our bedrooms here. We're doing it. We've been doing it for so long. We don't know. We don't hear from every person. That's what Tara reminds me of a lot. She's like, the DMs you get, the messages, emails you get are amazing. But she follows many people on social media who she absolutely loves that she never messages. She never comments. So we don't really know the type of impact we're having. And I'm not saying that that to pat myself on the back. It's genuinely the greatest joy and honor that what we're doing is making a difference. And to hear it where it makes a difference at Pebble Beach at a PGA Tour Champions event where Damon was playing, listened to our show that helped him finish second. I mean, it's just, he's really vulnerable and real here. Yeah. And I really think this could help so many people. He was absolutely amazing. We really could have talked for three hours. Uh, Easily. That's the, I mean, our interviews always just kind of times up, like, but that one was exceptional. It just flew by. You know, Ev, it's amazing. You know, guys, you know, Damon's a 16 handicapper, playing for a long time, 25 years, had some huge mental breakthroughs that he'll talk about when you listen to this episode, shooting in the low 80s. And I was just thinking, you know, we're, we're talking about all the ups and downs and golf is just really hard. And, you know, I was lucky to play growing up and division one and 
plus scratch, all that stuff. It's always so, it's really hard. I, I mean, we all feel it. And he kind of really goes through that and, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. With target commit acceptance, that's his big three now on mm-hmm. the course. Yeah. Not getting into the right heel or, you know, folding the right elbow. He's a big thought guy. Kind of yeah. like you have. And there was yeah. a time when I was a big thought guy and how he's like totally just gone a different direction from listening to our show and just hearing us kind of talk and brainstorm and bring on some great guests. This is it guys. I mean, this is it. Like, you know, the mental game is, is something we all seem to forget about it. And this show has created a platform for us, I have you and I, and for others to discuss it and try yeah. and figure it out the best we can. So I, I just think this is, this is a game changer interview. This is exactly it when it comes to the average player trying to get better, realizing what the mental game is all about. Yeah, and I'll end with this before, and we'll just get you to this interview because it's so good. Last thing I'll say, I thought there was a really powerful moment when he talks about self-loathing and what we identify with and what we expect out of ourselves because of either our occupation, because of what people might think about us, because of the pressures we put on ourselves. Like that was really good for me to hear that he's gone through that being on Golf Channel. I've gone through that with this show. And just putting so much weight on yourself that you can't mess up. You can't get frustrated. Like, no, that's, it's going to happen. This episode's (laughs) all about getting out of your own way. You know, maybe what what this sport can do to you, but these are the conversations to keep that train on the tracks. Absolutely. Fantastic. You're going to love this guys. Well, thank you to Damon for hopping aboard. We're definitely going to have him back for sure. Either when he breaks 80 or the next time he plays at Pebble for the pure insurance championship. So Thank you as always guys for hopping aboard. If you have a story like Damon's send us an email at the at gmail.com DM us at the partrain on Instagram. Give us a follow. We're posting stuff multiple times a day that aren't on the show. So if you want to keep that mental game sharp, give us a follow and give us a review at Apple podcasts and Spotify. If we've added any value. So no matter how much you hate your game, no matter <laughs> how weird the grip feels in your hand, what do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Guys, enjoy the ride. Take care. Damon Hack, longtime listener, first time caller. That's basically <laughs> it, man. You, you nailed it, Evan. This is, uh, this is so cool for me to be able to spend some time with you and Matt. I've, I've been listening for the last several months. You've played a, a large role in my life as a golfer, and I'm optimistic about my game and looking at golf in a different way for having stumbled upon you guys. Love it. Well, we're excited to welcome you aboard the train. Before we get to that, we're going to get to that in a second. But first, I thought it'd be fun asking you to start out. What do you think requires more patience, Damon? Golf or being a dad to triplet boys? (laughs) Wow. I'm going to have to say being a dad to triplet boys. I mean, now they're 11, so we're like in the good part. They're like... You know, they love sports like me. They they have a fantasy team. So do I, you know, mm-hmm. our sense of humor is probably the same now. They're 11. I'm 50. So like fart jokes and stuff like that. <laughs> we just kind of vibe on all that crazy stuff that that drives my wife nuts. But to be a, a triplet father when they were like three months old or six months old, you're kind of waiting for the payoff. Like, when am I supposed to love these children? Right now, all they're doing <laughs> is keeping me up at night. But now, now it's all good. You know, we it's watch. It's getting fun. Yeah. It's getting fun. We play sports together. I play tennis with them. I play golf with them. 
two-on-two football. Like we've got a built-in, you know, foursome, doubles tennis, you oh, name yeah. it, we, we do it. So what went through your and your wife's mind when you found out that she was having triplets? Oh, it was all joy for her. It was all fear for me. Like we were <laughs> for years just trying to have one child and like yeah. a lot of modern couples with the help of, you know, IVF and vitro fertilization. Uh, yeah. And my wife tells the story because I wasn't in the room. The, the doctor made the ultimate decision to put, you know, I'm not, I'm no doctor, but let's get three embryos going because the, the odds are probably Higher only chances. one will take mm-hmm. or, or maybe mm-hmm. you'll have twins. It was like a single digit chance that we have three kids. So the next thing, you know, we find out we're having triplets and the doctor's like patting me on the back. You have super sperm, you know, which is like, which is kind of a compliment, I guess, but yeah. uh, at least a until, swimmer and a golfer. Yeah, exactly. Until you bring them home and you're like, I mean, I'll never forget bringing the boys home and driving down the West side highway. We're living in New York city and like, we're leaving the hospital and I'm like, wait a second, they're actually letting us take these three live beings home. Like it was much, much yeah. easier when, we had full-time nurses and doctor care, and they were in the NICU for almost two weeks. Mm. And these nurses in the NICU are like, they're angels on earth. They just take care of everything. But then all of a sudden that they got to discharge you and like, they got more babies coming and you're like, wait, I don't want to leave. And so we're driving home and I'm probably driving like nine miles an hour on the West side highway with these uh, three lives. And uh, it got, it got started driving for a slow. while. I mean, driving slow and <laughs> we're home. And, and thankfully we did have some like baby nurse help early on. But after a few months, it was just me my wife and the boys and we're sleeping in shifts. I've, I've got the 10 to 2 a.m. Yeah. She'd have the 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. or vice versa. And you kind of feel bad at, at 2 a.m. Like the 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. You can kind of read and do your thing like 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. And that, that's, that's rough. That's rough <laughs> sledding. But that's kind of the... That's how we, we made this thing work. And I tell you what, it's almost like post-traumatic stress. I've blocked a lot of that era of my life out just out of survival. Mm-hmm. Well, Damon, I hope your wife's not a golfer because you've got to force them already with the boys. She, But how does that work out? Yeah, yeah. She doesn't play. She's played probably like four times. Okay. Uh, one time she actually played with me. We played nine holes at Shinnecock Hills. Oh. Uh, we got invited to play. Not a bad spot and to, to start. Not a bad start. And she actually outdrove me on one, which will tell you, you A, go. her athletic prowess, and B, like how bad I can be. So I think I hit a little ground ball and she just got the ball airborne. But I'll like never forget walking off that first tick. Holy crap. My wife, who never plays golf, just outdrove me at, at one of the, the greatest golf courses in the world. But uh, she'll do lessons like literally once or twice a year. Yeah. And she may get out there like in the fall and ride around the golf cart with uh, with me and my boys. Love it. Well, I know Sir wants to jump in, but first I got to give the listener some context. So we, we referenced this at the beginning, but here's some context of how this came about. So Gideon, your agent, he and I were talking about something unrelated and your name came up. He said, one of my clients, Damon Hack from Golf Channel, I've been trying to get him aboard the train for weeks. He's been resistant, <laughs> but... We've got the Pure Insurance Championship, which I want you to talk about because I didn't know a ton about this tournament. And it's like a pro-am. It's a junior. So I think it'd be interesting for people to learn about that tournament too, how it works. But he said, you've got this tournament coming up at Pebble. And that was kind of a catalyst for you to finally hop aboard. And correct me if I'm wrong, finish tied for second? Correct. So talk about 
maybe that early phase, what episode you started with and kind of the, uh, what you were taking with you to Pebble Beach. Yeah, it's funny how this all came together because I work at Golf Channel and it's like the best and the worst thing ever for, for a golfer. It's the best because you have access to all of this information and coaches and philosophies. And it's the worst thing ever because you have all this access to information and coaches and ideas. And it's just, you can get twisted in knots in a hurry. And, you know, when I was on morning drive, we'd have a, a, a teacher come in every week and talk about the short game or talk about the long game and everybody kind of rolls in a different way. So it was probably late spring when Gideon, who's my agent and, and good friend, and we've played a lot of golf together. We played out at Pebble before we played Cyprus. In fact, I got him on Cyprus for his 40th birthday. And he says, Hey, are you listening to the, to the par train podcast? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. And he's like, uh, you, you got to listen to these guys. It's, it's, I'm playing the best golf of my life. I don't think about anything when I play. And I'm like, what? I'm the guy who like, okay, for the first two holes, it's like when it's breezy, swing easy. For the next two holes, I got to keep my kind of weight on the inside of my right foot. The next couple of holes, it's, you know, how's my grip? Is my right hand getting too far underneath the club? That's why I'm hitting snap hooks. I'm one of those guys that I just go from swing top to swing thought to swing thought. So getting to tell me about the par train, I'm like, yeah, I appreciate it. So I let a couple of weeks go by. I don't, I don't hop on the train at that point. <laughs> I get invited to the Pure Insurance Championship, which is a, a PGA Tour Champions event that has the 15 over set plus a first tee golfer. And then also it has amateurs in the field. So That's it's cool. like a PGA Tour Champions event, but there's also the, the first tee kids are competing and the amateurs are competing as well and, it, and it's like you know you, you get your handicap so you get strokes if you're like a, a 16 like me or if you're a five you get a certain number of strokes so the problem was during the summer I started playing in our club B flight tennis championship so I was putting like my golf preparation away until I got through the tennis tournament which takes weeks and weeks to finish because you've got to make your schedule work with the other guy and, and I was sure I'd be eliminated in the first round of this tennis tournament but I won the first event, and then I won my second match, and then I won my third match, and I made it all the way to the finals. I lost in the finals, but I got a trophy, which was cool. But I had really delayed my focus on this Pure Insurance Championship in the September. So Gideon had been talking about the par train. So I said, I'm going to put it on. I like podcasts. You know, Golf Today, we have a podcast. You know, Rex Hoggard has a golf a podcast. Uh, Ryan Lavner. I was like, what's, what's one more podcast? I'm going to put, put you guys on. So I started – with Bob Rotella, someone who I'd come to, to read through the years and respect mm -hmm. and interviewed him when Trevor Immelman won the Masters. And that was someone that, that Bob was working with. And I was just listening to him talk and listening to you guys talk in, about the absence of thought and how you can't really play golf thinking about where your swing is at the top. And I used to think, well, if I have one or two swing thoughts, I'm, I'm going to be okay. I can manage like just a couple of swing thoughts, but it ended up being two to three to four to, to 10. And so to hear Bob say, well, you know, I'd rather not think about anything. If you don't think about one thing, just think about the target. And I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. Just think about the target. So I love that podcast. And I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. Then I put on Dr. Bob Winters and it was similar. Just like you can't, you can't really grip the steering wheel when you play golf and I've been gripping the steering wheel in so many different ways and trying to like solve this Rubik's cube 
as it were. Like, okay, how do I solve the riddle? I'm, I'm close. I'm like all around it. I've shot 82 before, 41-41. In fact, that was that's still my best round ever. It was the week before those triplet boys were born. And mm. I thought it was because I had like this cool swing thought, which was like, you know, start your pre-shot routine instead of, you know, having your club at the ball, have it maybe a foot or two in front of the ball, swing back and swing through like, like your air swing, your kind of your practice swing like that. And mm. I just thought I was like a really good rhythm and it didn't hit me till like really years later and maybe even over this summer at Pebble that the reason I shot 41-41 because my mind was on, on these triplet boys that I knew were coming and we had a scheduled C-section and I didn't care where the golf ball went. I'm like, how am I going to pay for three colleges in 18 years? How am I going to make this work in our tiny Soho apartment? And like my mind was not on my golf swing, but I thought I had some really cool pre-shot routine, which I'd still go to in the interim 11 years and never shot 82 since before or since after that so but that's where I was as a golfer so I get through my tennis tournament I've listened to both Dr. Bob's with you guys and I said you know what okay I've only got about a week or two prep I played nine holes here and there and I and I kind of was trying to do the target thing but I still go back to trying to find a swing thought to hold on to it's just kind of how I've been rolling I land in the San Francisco Bay Area I'm driving from San Jose to Pebble, and I put on the Rick Sessinghouse interview that you guys did. And at this point, like, I'm all by myself. My wife and boys are in Connecticut. My mom and sister are going to drive up from LA to watch. And if you've ever been out to California, you've been out to Pebble, you kind of get into this real zen-like place. And like, it's my native state. I'm about to play one of my favorite golf courses ever. And I'm finding myself suddenly getting into this good mental space. And it's par train. It's like Rick talking about his work with Colin, but also his own upbringing as a player and how he used to get so mad and angry and some of the things he'd, he'd learn along the way. And I've talked to him, you know, briefly said hi a couple of times at PGA Tour events and just meeting him, you would have never thought that he was someone that had fought a temper. So I'm listening to these podcasts you guys are doing and it's not just the flow of your voice and the comfort of the guests, but being at a pebble, all these things are kind of coming together for me. And I'm like, you know what? I'm in my favorite place on earth. I've got no expectations this week. In fact, I booked my flight to return home Sunday. I was so sure I was going to miss the cut. I'd play one round at pebble, one round at spy, and I'd fly home Saturday night or Sunday morning and then be back in studio on Monday. So that's kind of where I was state of mind. Wednesday, play a practice round at Pebble. And I play pretty well for me. I'm like, and I'm starting to like incorporate some things. Like, well, you know what? Let's have no swing thoughts this week. Just zero swing thoughts. Enjoy the vistas. Pick out a target in the distance and just swing. So I did that on Wednesday. And the practice round was pretty good. I don't remember what I shot, but I made a bunch of pars. And I was like, okay, okay, this is interesting. Thursday, I didn't play a practice round. I decided to just chip and putt and go to the range a little bit. And, and you know, I'm 50 and I don't want to like be over golfed before the tournament started. And then Friday is day one at Pebble and we're grouped with Paul Broadhurst, a first tee kid named Sky Skenendor, incredible 16-year-old player who wants, in fact, going to turn pro very soon. She's a tremendous player. And then Rick Worcester, who's the president of Charles Schwab was my amateur partner. And like right away, 
first tee shot on one, I pulled a little left. It's a hybrid, but like, it's, it's a way it's in the rough. And like, I didn't think about anything about my golf swing. It was just target and swing. And I had this little mantra. It was target and acceptance, target and acceptance. It was all by listening to you guys and listening to some of the the themes that were repeating themselves over and over again with, with your guests about accepting it and, and not getting in your own way. And I birdied four, I was crazy shot. I, I was in the bunker on four, which is a short par four. I have to open up the 60 degree wedge and right up against the lip. I'm a 16 handicap. And I nip this thing to three feet and make the putt. It's three for two sure. on a par four. <laughs> and like, I'm contributing to the team now. And I'm just like, I part 18, Driver, awful hybrid, had like a six iron in. I caddy Adam Green was awesome. He just says, this is a good club for you. I launched this six iron over the front bunker and it lands like 35 feet. You know, I have to putt down to like not three, three feet. There's a gallery there. They've got stands there and easily could have just yipped this putt and I roll it in the center and it's a five for four. And I'm just like, man, this is like so fun. So we're 14 under. 58 after the wow. first day. And I've contributed four or five pops for the team myself. And I'm feeling good and kept it rolling on Saturday at Spyglass. That's where my mom and sister actually got to watch me play. I parred one, I parred two, part a couple of the par threes. I, I just, again, four pops or so I'm contributing to the team. We're shot back. And then on Sunday, I started to notice this, the leaderboards and I started to like care. And boys, I will tell you, the golf club felt different in my hands and I was trying to focus on the target, but I, I could feel my right hand kind of, and I started to like notice it. It was like getting stronger and stronger in my grip. And Paul Broadhurst on Friday had said at the times he noticed I did hit hooks was that my right hand would get a little strong. The club face had nowhere to go, but to shut. And I hit hooks all day. I tried to get my hand more on top of the club, more neutral grip. And then I'd hit these wild blocks. And all of a sudden, I'm in like swing mode, like swing thought mode. And Sunday, I contributed zero for the team, which really bummed me out. And I say I contributed zero. I, I might have like bogeyed for par or parred when we already had the birdie made as a team. Like I didn't, I didn't help us advance our score, which ended up being one shot behind the winners. And I went from Friday, Saturday, I'm happy I'm here. I can't believe we made the cut to Sunday, thinking I feel the same, thinking I'm going to focus on the target only. But I noticed the scoreboards and the leaderboards all of a sudden. And I'm like playing pebble on Sunday and I'm caring now. And the club feels different. And I don't know why it feels different. But Paul told me on Friday, my hand has a tendency to, to get a little bit low and Laird Small who I played with on Saturday in lieu of Marco Mira who came down with gout he was supposed to play with us said the same thing I'm like these guys know the swing so I started to kind of fiddle with my swing and we finished tied for second and it was amazing to go from the, the mindset of I'm happy I'm here I'm in my home state my mom and sister are watching and they don't care where I hit the ball they're clapping you know it's a beautiful thing they drive home Saturday Sunday, I'm, I'm in like game mode and I'm like, I'm suddenly I've gone from probably playing like an eight to a 10 to playing like a 20 to a 22 on Sunday. I'll be honest, boys, it took me and I'm still bummed out about it. One shot from from maybe winning. I don't know if we would have played off or 
I think we would have shot one shot better than the group that won on Sunday. So I think we would have been given the trophy, even if we'd finished tied. I didn't sleep well for a week. And it was just amazing to me how you could go from like not caring and just happy to be here in California, my native state playing pebble to, oh my gosh, we have a chance to win this thing. Now I'm looking for leaderboards and now my golf swing, which I think is the same swing and I can't stop the ball from going left. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff here. And I want to focus on the good David. I want to focus on that Saturday round because yeah, it is crazy how we can shoot so well and then shoot so bad the next day. And you're just like, but that's <laughs> golf, right? And you, you got yourself in the hunt. You got yourself in the moment. You just got to figure out how to work on your nerves. Right. Yeah. But that Saturday you talk about your home state in really the, the Mecca of American golf, Northern California, Pebble beach, and then spyglass. And, and it's like, you became, you know, just a different, thinker a different golfer a different player i mean what a i don't know if spiritual is the right word but what is like almost a transcendent moment for you and like that's so much good to dwell on right and yeah you actually was, something changed something you, did change and to be cliffside and along the ocean and having covered the at&t and covered u.s opens there and knowing like the gravity of some of these shots and like i played eight three times, once in the practice round and twice in the tournament. And I hit three three woods in like a three woods kind of like my old buddy, Charlie Rambo called the devil's club. Like it's a hard club. It could be a hard club to hit. It's sure. just it, people. If, if you have a three woods, you like, they'll hit it for like 20 years because it's just, it's a, it could be a, a hard club. I spanked that three wood off 18, like in the same spot down the left side, fairway three times and it was just like like I'll lean on that forever like this is a hard tee shot it's a blind shot up the hill and even on Sunday knowing I hadn't played well I actually hit a very good shot I think I had like a seven iron in it might have been less than that it was a nine iron in I'd really hit the three but almost too good and I had a nine iron in and I didn't quite catch it on the perfect groove but it was a good shot it landed just short of the green rolled onto the green and just rolled up the swale and just hung in there in the rough. <laughs> and had it come down, I would have had, who knows, four feet, 10 feet, eight feet, I don't know. But I ended up, you know, hitting a poor chip, rolled all the way back down to the front of the green. And I, and I ended up making like, a, I might have made a six. I can't remember, I made a five. But I didn't contribute to the team on, on that. And then my buddy had like a, gosh, he had a great approach. And I think he had two feet above the hole and he missed the putt. And he was like, this is why I sit behind a desk. And my man Rick had already like eagle a hole, 14, he hit this driver, three iron, and then like made the putt. So he'd already contributed immensely and done great things. He felt like crap. I felt like crap that I didn't even get a good break. But that's us grinding and uncomfortable. But to answer your question, I saw some things and felt some things in a good way I just felt like my blood pressure was level. My reaction to bad shots was level and consistent and neutral. I mean, I enjoyed the good shots and I allowed myself a little fist pump. And But man, like to walk at Spyglass and, and to need a par for the team and to make it, and it counts five for four. And then on two, good drive. I left my second just short. I think it was a, maybe a, a bad club. Second short in the bunker. Third out to like, 25 feet, make the putt for par. Those are things I'll remember forever, how I felt and just how I was able to 
not get in my own way. I had zero on Friday and Saturday swing stocks. I didn't care if my arm bends, which it often does. I didn't care about, you know, strain arm. I didn't care. Sometimes I get a little long with my back swing and I'm like this. So the left arm has no choice but to bend. I didn't think about that. I didn't care how my swing looked. I didn't care if I kept the weight inside of my right, you know, heel like I had thought about. I didn't care about anything that had to do with my golf swing other than picking out a pretty tree in the horizon, which you could do a lot at, at Spyglass especially. But even at Pebble, you can find a, a hill or a cloud or something. I was just cloud, ball, cloud, <laughs> ball, and go. And it was such a cool feeling. And I'm like, man, my guy, Gideon, and the boys in the par train, they're, they're really onto something special. All right, guys, the train's going to make a quick stop. Please stay in your seat. Keep those seatbelts fashioned, and then we'll get you right back on track, I promise. So I just polled a lot of you guys on Instagram this week, and I asked, hey, what's a bigger issue for you with golf? Is it muscle soreness and pain, or is it chafage below the equator? And 80% of you said muscle soreness. Well, I got good news for you. Our friends at Oars and Alps just dropped their muscle recovery bomb. And it's this beautiful little compact roll-on that's kind of like old school Icy Hot, but it's cleaner, okay? It's none of those harsh chemicals. All you got to do is roll it on your neck, shoulders, back, quads, biceps, anywhere you feel sore or tight, and you'll get an instant relief of cooling sensation followed by warmth. It's clear, it's non-greasy, it's non-sticky, and it's scented with a calming combination of lavender and sage. Are you kidding me? I feel like I'm in a spa right now. So go to oarsandalps.com, enter the code TRAIN, Get yourself 15% off. And a little pro tip, okay? Most of these codes are first-time usage. So if you're going to go into Oars and Alps and get yourself some muscle recovery bomb, you might as well get yourself a aluminum-free deodorant. My favorite is the Bergamont Grove scent. I also love the Mandarin Woods if you have sensitive skin. But they've got every kind of flavor there, any type of scent you like. Um, the best deodorant in the market. None of the harsh chemicals. No aluminum. But they also got a million other things. They've got skincare, body care, hair care. I love the thickening spray. I wore it during my wedding, actually. Amazing stuff on oarsandalps.com. Enter the code TRAIN. Get yourself 15% off. All right, let's get this train back on the tracks. Isn't it interesting, guys? Like, us golfers always find ourselves saying, I found it, right? And typically, we, when we say that, it's because, oh, I found a, I found a takeaway feel, right? Yeah. Oh, I got a weight shift thought. But this is the definition. Again, we never master golf. We can't, we don't figure it out completely. But this is to me, I found it. And finding it at the most important time at the most pinnacle of places, right, which yeah. is another level of finding it. I'll tell you, because I thought I'd found it after that 82 at Liberty National the week before my boys were born. I was like, I finally got it. I, I kind of <laughs> thought that, okay, I shot 82, 41, 41, birdie on each side with this funky pre-shot routine. And I was like, door is going to open for me. Like I literally thought I was like walking through a door and on the other side would be all these like scratch golfers and single digit handicappers, like applauding for me, kind of <laughs> walking me to the club of sticks, you know, and then, and it, it didn't happen that way. And I was soon left that swing thought behind it was right. on to the next. the next. And the cool thing for me also was in, in kind of the full circle story was that after that round, and after that tournament, my first round of golf was with Gideon. And like, I couldn't wait to play. We're at his club, Mount Kisco in New York. And the very first hole is one of the toughest holes in the property. It's a short but uphill par four. The drive's downhill. The approach is uphill. And I strike my drive right down the middle. 
and I probably have, gosh, it's about a nine iron or wedge in. Hit my wedge up there. Hit okay, 35, 40 feet, cut, drain up. I birdied my first hole. Let's go. Experience at Pebble. <laughs> and Gideon's like, man, like, he's like, he's happy for him. But he's also like, dang, like, like I got I to gotta watch this guy now. So Can't birdie him all if you don't birdie the first. That's right. <laughs> I, shot, I shot 86, which, which for me is, you know, I, I don't break 90 that often, but that's the old me. And I'm hoping that the kind of scores that I shot at Pebble and, and the way I played at Mount Kisco, which was 86, man, that felt good. And the birdie out the box was just like, like, let's go. And I just, and I was just walking, man. I, I, I wasn't like pounding the chest or getting too high. I was just like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And if I can stay out of my own way, I have more opportunities to do just that. What I'm really fascinated about, Damon, we've talked about this before, but I want to bring it up again. I'd love to drill down on what comes up for us when we say to ourselves, just swing, no swing thoughts, because there is that little voice. There's that ego inside. I think it's actually lack of self-belief, I think is what it comes down to, that we genuinely don't believe because of past pain, past results, past mistakes, that without that thought, we will make the same mistakes. We absolutely need that thought in order to perform. So it actually is a practice of belief. I'm curious so, if you find that to be the same thing for you. It's so true. Even as I was going about my you know, revelry on Friday and Saturday, it's hard to keep your mind blank, especially when you have been telling yourself swing thoughts forever and you feel like you have to have something. Well, I have to think about something. How is how is this swing? How is this mechanism going to work without some sort of instruction, some sort of trigger to get this going? And, and I played probably one of my rounds before Pebble was at Sleepy Hollow. And now I'm just dropping, you know, names of all these, <laughs> these cool places that I get to play with Golf Channel. But, but this was a, a round of golf where I started out well and then I struggled and I was I was kind of halfway on the park train at that point. So I was kind of leaning out the window a little but I wasn't all in. <laughs> And so at one point I said, get your body moving. I said it like out loud as I was standing over a tee shot. And I said, get your body moving. And then I took the club back and I absolutely striped it down the middle. Best drive of the day. Had the same swing thought, get your body moving. This time I didn't say it out loud. I just said it in my head. Hit a good iron onto the green, two putt par. And then I did it again for the next hole. Didn't say it out loud. Get your body moving. Then I hit a snap hook and then I'm back and then I'm like, okay, that, that swing thought's gone. But, but you're right. Like I have felt like you always have to have some thought to play this game. And I honestly think you guys have hit on this. It's a lack of thought. It's about trust. A blank slate is a beautiful thing. Like, and I was able to like, enjoy my walk out there. It was like, man, I'm not burdened with how my swing looks or all the lessons I've taken or all the segments I used to do in studio AP at morning drive in Orlando, it was just go play, just play. Mm -hmm. And it was very kid-like and it was very natural and fun. And, and then on Sunday I started to care and, and I kind of reverted back to my old hat and that, but that's okay. Like I have to forgive myself. I love what Max Homa says about, you know, forgive yourself because we are human yeah. beings and we sometimes revert back to, what's normal, what's comfortable. Maybe I felt uncomfortable being that high on a leaderboard. And that's yeah, a good learning. And, and needed to learn how to be in that position. But man, it was, it was instructive. 
It was so fun. I've talked to some people at Pure Insurance and they like want to have me back next year, which is like insane to think that this wasn't a one-off and I'll have to keep my expectations in check because now I finished tied for second and now my thought of, let's go out and win the whole thing. You just finished one shot off. But what a a gift to have that to look forward to. And I hope I use this time between now and and next uh, September to just kind of rinse and repeat, man. I love how you guys do the look back segments where you guys have the podcast where you take snippets from your favorite moments, whether it's Roger Steele. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, I've been all up and down the tracks with you guys now, just trying to listen to different different podcasts because there's so much wisdom. John Ashworth was another one that I loved, mm. just kind of his his view of golf, and he's such a, a a leader in the public golf space as well. But someone who plays the game at a high level and played it, and his kind of laissez-faire, don't get in the way attitude. It just it, it I was like wanting to grasp a little bit of that as well. So so my job now is to is to not let this be an anomaly. It's to like, you know what? You learned a lot from that experience. And I saw my best golf. You know, that 86 at Mount Kisco was better than the 82 at Liberty National in, in a lot of ways because I was just out of my way completely. And the 82 was similar though, but I was out of my way then when I was thinking about these impending boys. What a cool thing that I can look at both of those things 11 years apart and Pebble included in that and Mount Kisco and Liberty National. And at the moments where I was really able to just kind of, oh, okay, that tree out there, that that's that part of the fairway I want this ball to go to. It's not going to always go there. And I know that, but it's amazing how many times it will. I love that. I love the target and acceptance. I really do. Right. Because who said it? Brett McCabe was talking about Webb Simpson. His thing is let God let go. You know, that's, that's his mantra. And it's, you know, you, there's a lot of ways to say that. But what's my target? What's my move? And just go find it, right? But yeah, that's yeah. that's why golf is such a beautiful thing because, yeah, it's so easy. Your Friday, Saturday, it's easy, right? right? The Sunday is the work. Sarum hates the left miss. I hate the big block, <laughs> right? And I've got some stories, too, where it's like a, it's a tornado yeah. that can happen. You can spiral out of control. You can go into emergency fix it mode and i think the ability to not care at the moment that you know you do and trust it when you know you feel uncomfortable i mean that's really the the and practice not go and lean on mechanics because that's what we all right do. and damon i want to ask you this because this is one of the first things i thought of in prep for today do you struggle people aren't going to be able to relate to being a host on golf channel, but people will be able to relate to whatever their identity and what they call themselves. So let me ask you in this way, did you ever struggle in your 20 plus 25 years playing golf of being in golf, being around golf, interviewing the best in the world, talking about golf, golf being your life. You put a lot of time and energy into it. Does it make the struggle or being a 16 handicap? harder for you and has that gotten in your way because to be perfectly honest with you damon that's been a big struggle for me this year is i kind of felt anyone who knew about the podcast that i played with is going to be watching me and i'm not allowed to get frustrated and i'm not allowed to make mental mistakes because we're the mental guys you know and we put so much time into this that's been hard for me to remember wait evan you don't have to be the case study you can be the failure so that we can learn, we can relate to our listeners, and then I can continue to have the same lessons you had on Sunday. 
But I'm curious, I think this identity thing is another part of the acceptance. And I'm curious if you've struggled with that over the years. It has happened and still happens. It's one of the toughest things about being a broadcaster at Golf Channel, where I've worked for 10 years. And before that, I was covering golf for Sports Illustrated. Before that, I was covering golf for the New York Times. And, you know, I was laughing about some of the places I've been able to play. Well, when you're going to play Royal Birkdale and you shoot 97 and the guys you're playing with, wait, you, you work where? Where do you work? Wait, wait, you're, wait, you're the guy on TV? And it's just, you want to talk about getting down a rabbit hole of self-loathing. It can happen very fast. Mm-hmm. The pressure of talking about Rory McIlroy winning three FedEx Cups and four majors and knowing, you know, that, oh, yeah, I know, you know, Tiger's got 82 PGA Tour wins and 15 majors. And I can tell you just about the margin of every one of his major championships, you know, a 15-shot win at the U.S. Open, a 12-shot win at the Masters, an eight-shot win at the Open. So I got, I'm an encyclopedia of knowledge, but I came to golf late in life as, as an adult. I was hired by Golf Channel because I was a reporter and a sports writer, not because I played – PGA Tour or Corn Ferry Tour or college golf, even I'm none of those things. And so, yes, those things have been hard for me. It's taken me a while to to learn that everybody's favorite golfer is really him or herself. Like most people are so in their own heads and worried about their own game. Like people, I've gotten jabs about it from time to time. And my last name is Hack, which is like the trifecta of, of, the, <laughs> of being in the golf business and being pretty average. But I've had moments. I mean, I've played Augusta National twice and not played well there. I've had good moments there, but did not play well. Did not equip myself well. Mm. Uh, I've played a lot of the open rota courses. I shot 91 at the old course and, and actually enjoyed that day very much. And for me, it was a pretty darn good round of golf considering the, the wind and all the trouble in the bunkers there. But I, I've had some moments where I'm like, man, this this sucks. It sucks to be talking about the PGA tour and with some authority, but usually I'm getting anecdotes from players or I'm talking to coaches or I'm interviewing them after their rounds. But like, if that person at at home with that guy just makes triple bogeys and double bogeys, you know, what is he, why are you on the channel? And then you're playing golf with someone and they're, they have an expectation level. So I got even expectation levels beyond my own. It's like the guy or gal playing with me expects me to just be stripe show all day. And that's just, that's not conducive to good golf when you're carrying that kind of burden. And, I, and I'm and i glad you asked it because I, I have and I do. Hopefully, I've got a turning point 2022 and that the things that I've learned this summer, I'll be able to apply and push back against those urges and those feelings. But no question that has definitely been a part of my golf journey has been trying to deal with the expectations of others because of the job I have. Damon, real quick, it's also easy to feel self-loathing if you're at a place let's use augusta for an example because i bet you people would want to know what that was like but i bet you everyone listening to this show myself included many times this year actually you get to play an amazing place maybe it's a a bucket list trip we've done full episodes on the mental side of playing bucket list courses um, because it's easy to put it on a pedestal there's a lot of time and money anticipation so let's talk about that for a second you're playing Augusta. You're not playing well. I bet you there were times you were frustrated or not enjoying that type of opportunity as much as you maybe could have. How have you gotten yourself out of self-loathing there? How have you reset and enjoyed those moments? I mean, I'm such an optimist by nature. I'm a positive person. Like my joy at Augusta came from being 
you know, chosen, getting your ticket pulled as a media member, to, you know, from the lottery to play. It happened in 02 and 09. And I'm not shy. I shot a 112 in 2002. It was awful. I mean, my golf was <laughs> awful. But I actually parked 12 and I yeah. parked 16. Oh, amazing. And, you know, Great moments. And I, yeah, those are huge moments. And like, and I made sevens and eights all day, but for whatever reason, I like had some good moments and, and I was playing with other sports writers and we were all kind of slapping it around a little bit. Like th that was one of those cases where, okay, we're so glad that we're here. And this is such a pinch me moment that we're even here that I had a couple embarrassing, I made eights out there. Like I, I, I'm 13, I hit a good drive, I had a good layup. And the caddy was, we were kind of between the nine and the wedge and he gives me the nine and I absolutely flush it and it goes over the green, you know, into the back bunker and I make eight and we walk off the green. He says, uh, well, we'll have you dialed in here in no time. And I'm thinking to myself, dialed in. It's not like I'm coming back tomorrow. Like this, this could be like a once in a lifetime thing, dude. You know, yeah. we, we, we picked the wrong club. But I did get to play nine years later and I shot 102. So the optimist in me is like, hey, you know, I just, you know, shaved 10 shots off of the, the previous time I played. And if the trend continues, I'll shoot 92 the next time I play. And I'd imagine I feel pretty good about that. But it's the eyeballs. It's the when you're on a tee and like it's a crowded tee box. So there's a weight. And that happened a couple of times at Pebble too. You know, they've got the little food truck air, not trucks, but food tents and a couple of the par fives. There's a backup and there's a group behind you and your caddy's got hack uh, on his bib and you know, oh, that's Damon hack. Yeah. You know, it's so all you're, I feel that a lot. And sure. at Pebble, I was able to kind of push through that a couple of times and it felt really good and gosh, it felt great. And that's the key. Can I be kind enough to myself and good enough to myself and, I even amended that target acceptance to target commitment acceptance. Love it. And love it. It we love a good of, amendment. Love a yeah, good amendment. It's just, <laughs> just a little, just a little one. Like keeping the same, same general theme of just pick that target and like really commit to it. And then you accept whatever happens. So it's my hope that those, those voices in my head, that little mantra will push back against any potential embarrassment or or self-loathing because it happens in this game it's just it can get going sideways in a hurry and on Sunday I'm in part ways I'm, I'm glad that it happened in that it reminded me about how important that commitment part is and acceptance and you can't have your head on a swivel you know like a quarterback in the NFL looking for leaderboards <laughs> which I was and and trying to figure out where we stood and that round went so fast and we ran out of holes and I was like, man, I contributed nothing today. And that was kind of yeah. a bummer of a feeling, but I still feel like I learned a lot from it and that, that somehow, some way I'll be better off next time. All right, we're going to take a quick break here from one of our sponsors that I think a lot of you are going to love for the upcoming Black Friday, holidays, et cetera. And uh, I'll get you right back to the show. So you guys have heard of Sticks Golf. If you've been listening to the show for a while, they were a great partner of ours almost a year ago. And we sold thousands of these sets. And so many of these people that have gotten Sticks Clubs have DM'd us and told us that they love them. They're the best clubs for the price that you can get them. Right now, you can basically get a full set of Sticks Golf Clubs 
from $699, or this is the coolest thing. This is something they didn't have last year. You can do payments. So payments as low as $63 a month. So you can get a full set of clubs. I'm talking woods, irons, wedges, putter, bag, head covers, towel, you name it, and pay 63 bucks a month until it's paid off. And it'll only take about 10 months based on their cheapest price. So go to sticks.golf, that's sticks.golf, enter the code TRAIN, get yourself 10% off. They're having a flash sale right now for 20% off. I don't know how long they're going to run that for. So you could get even more off. This would be a great gift for someone who is starting in the game of golf, wants kind of a a beginner set upgrade from hand-me-down clubs from maybe relatives or friends, or if you just have hand-me-down clubs that you need an upgrade and you've been playing for a while and you'd like something that doesn't break the bank, Sticks is an amazing option. They're one of the fastest growing companies in the last two years in golf. So Sticks.golf, that's S-T-I-X dot golf. Enter the code train, get yourself 10% off. All right, let's get back to the show. Damon, thinking about this mental breakthrough you've had, and your scores have shown it, right? And you kind of know what you're, you're capable of. You know, this is important for our listeners because oftentimes, you know, when I talk with double-digit handicaps, or they ask me like, you know, you know, how can I shoot 80, right? Or how can I break 80? And they're like, and their typical thoughts are, oh, I need to hit it higher. You know, I need to hit it farther. You know, I need to practice harder, all those things. But it's never, how can I find three or four shots? And, you know, and that happens from, you know, not missing it long on your second shot, right? Or taking a different club off the tee, if the hole doesn't look right, maybe hit the hybrid instead of the driver. It always goes back to, it's just physical, physical, physical. But everything you've said today, nothing to do with physical. It all had to do with a mental approach that has really helped your course management. 100%. Talk about that. Like you, you, you are getting better at course management without thinking about all the technical cues. Yeah, I think that acceptance word really helps with course management because I'm not I'm not taking unnecessary chances mm-hmm. for some reason. And I, I didn't expect this to be a byproduct of that. But in looking at targets and thinking about the tree out there and just the branch, I want to aim at that branch or that cloud. I didn't expect it to help my short game and my putting, but I was so comfortable on the greens. And you know, the greens out there, they get a little bumpy. You get the Poana. It, it's, it's making putts. There is very, very difficult. And for whatever reason, I was making way more putts than I had all summer. My short game is a weakness and I've been working on it for many years, but my short game was better at pebble that 60 yard shot out of that bunker on four. <laughs> That's an all timer. It's an all timer. And Paul Broders is one of the hardest shots in golf. It's one of the hardest shots in golf at a 60 degree wedge. That ball was up against the lip and I just committed to it. And to see that thing land exactly where I wanted it to and to, and to make the putt. That kind of shot carried over to other pitch shots that I had. And, and, and when you're having fun with that. the shots too, right? You're like, yeah. okay, this is a hard shot. It's, let's just see what happens. I think I know what to do. We're going to give it a shot. And you surprise yourself, right? As opposed to like, wow, this shot sucks. Could ruin my round if I don't you know, do something. These are the amazing moments out there. I couldn't believe how much it bled into the rest of my game. Like I was like, wait, I've made no putts for like five years. That was probably my thought before I got to Pebble. And then I'm like making putts. Right. And it's like, wait, this is is crazy. Like, I'm not thinking about, am I taking the club too far inside? Am I 
four inches back, four inches. Like I'm not thinking anything mechanical. I'm just letting the body do its thing. And like, and, and you're making putts. You're making putts, man. The game is a lot of fun. Oh, the momentum. Yeah. Damon, yeah. one thing I told myself during uh, my buddy's member guests I played in this year, and we did a whole episode on this. My first match, I felt really uncomfortable the whole match over the ball, really the whole week. But the funny thing was match one, I felt just as uncomfortable as I did when I fell apart in match two and three. But similar to what you, your mantra, my mantra, which is actually, I think could be maybe great for when you play in the pure insurance championship again, or any event. And I say this to myself more often now is you don't have to contribute here. You just have to go after the ball. So for me, a thought is I found for me, I play my best golf when I kind of feel like I just toss it in my backswing and I just let it drop and then I can rip at the ball. Hmm. But what I struggled with is if I'm in a pressure situation, sometimes it's hard for me to let it release, to let it hmm. drop because I'm really, I don't want the face to open and there's some non-trust stuff there. But it's so funny how when all I focus, it's really commitment. All I was doing was giving myself forgiveness of the biggest pressure that we put on ourselves, which is contributing to the team. Right. Because I'm the one getting pops. My buddy's a scratch. So for me, that was really big because the one and and I say this because I think it can be big for our listeners to really ask yourself, what is the single most important thing I keep telling myself that's putting all the pressure? Is it impressing someone? Is it not embarrassing yourself? And if you tell yourself that you can do the thing you're most avoiding, that's actually like a backdoor way to get closer to acceptance. Because if you start with not wanting to mess up and you identify with being a golfer and you don't want to be embarrassed because you've been embarrassed before, accepting that is a really hard place to go. You can't go from fear to acceptance. So sometimes I found telling yourself that it's okay to do something, the one thing you don't want to do, it can be a pretty magical thing. I love that. That's very, very important. The fact that you want to contribute so badly. And I was definitely, that's all I thought about in the lead up to the, to the peer insurance. Like, well, I have to contribute. I'm going to have a, a great pro from the PJ Tour champions. I'm going to have a, a great partner. I'm going to have a great first tee kid. What am I going to do? I, I've got to find a way to contribute. And that could put a lot of undue pressure on yourself. A hole goes by, two holes go by. You're like, okay, well, now it's my turn. I have to step up. You know, I'm getting a pop here. This, this is, so I have to, you know, and then the next thing you hit the ground ball, it's like, you know, you're, well, you're still lying zero, but you're like, you know, you've only gone 20 yards or so. And, and my next hurdle guys, and, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this. Cause I send V1 video to a coach. Tom Patry, terrific coach in Naples. And I haven't seen him in a while. And like, I'm going to have to figure out like, how do I incorporate instruction again? Like I haven't had a lesson since pure, like where yeah. does golf instruction kind of fit into this where I don't go back to like, okay, maybe it's a conversation with him about like, I'm, I feel like I'm in a good mental place right now. It's obviously I'm going to continue to work on. So I stay in that space and improve on it, but I don't want to get tangled up in swing thought again. So I'm going to have to kind of navigate golf instruction now, which I'm a little bit nervous about 
figuring out how to do that. Well, I mean, I think the important part it is the hard part because I went through this growing up playing and we talked about this recently. Just you never think your swing's good enough. You never think your lines are good enough. Your positions are good enough. But really, that then that when you think about that and you try to overhaul your swing, you're not thinking about the fundamentals, right? So what I would say, Damon, is just like always be hammering home the fundamentals, even with your coach. And don't be afraid to say that. That's what the pros do every time on the range, stance, grip, alignment, weight shift, you know, because you're clearly a good enough player. You're knocking on the door of 80, of 79, right? I wouldn't get caught up in a trap of trying to have the perfect backswing, the perfect takeaway, or even doing something that maybe is right. You know, like, oh, this is the right way to swing a golf club, but it's just not how I operate. Or at least Damon, I would add to that because I'm going through this myself. I work with Jake Thurm, who we've had on the show, who coaches Streelman and a bunch of guys. And I think what's really helped me versus what's really hurt me is education versus fixing. So Jake has really helped me understand what I do and why I do it. So that if you get to your point on Sunday and you start to see the snap hook, it's less, I know what to fix and it's more comfort that, oh yeah, I do that when I get quick. Well, no, you do it when you don't like the tee shot. Or when you're and uncomfortable, then you might get hunched over, you know, which leads to less of a turn, right? <laughs> so like quick. Yeah. So, so what Jake helped me here. with is I've always struggled with, I, I honestly, I was thinking about tweeting this last night. I was like, I used to think chemistry and physics was challenging. I honestly don't understand the takeaway, how people have an on plane that gets vertical takeaway and they stop right here and they're super wide. I've been trying to do it. I've tried every feel and it does the exact same thing. And it's so confusing. But what Jake has helped me understand is like, oh, well, I don't have any tilt. I played baseball. So I just stand up and my hips and my shoulders are perfectly parallel to the ground. And I, of course, it's going to roll inside. My whole body is taking it inside. So that's kind of like those moments that are aha, that are valuable to me because it's like, no, it's not just that I'm trying to get my hands and arms on plane. What is making it harder to get on plane? And now I have something that's not too technical. It's just more of like a keep a shoulder low type reminder and good checkpoint. And then it's like, yeah, it's okay to work on that because it's leading to bad habits, but it's not as much. I think what Cermak's getting to is like getting to like positions at the top or like feels on the downswing can be tougher because it's such a short thing, you know? So I hear you. I'm glad you asked that. That's a very tough thing. I think a lot of our listeners struggle with. When I was playing on Sunday and I, and I forgot to mention this. We had a walker with us and I'd been struggling. We started, if I remember, we started on 10 at Pebble on Sunday. And so we played eight and nine were our last two holes. And on eight, as I mentioned, I striped that three wood like all three times I played it. We're walking off the eighth tee and the walker says, that was the first time you like completed your backswing all day. And I was like, wow. And like, he says, you've been quick. You've been so quick. And I was like, wow. And so maybe that's what it was. I think I'm hitting snap hooks because I'm, maybe I got quick. Maybe it was less about my hand sliding underneath the club. Maybe I just have a little bit of a strong grip. That's okay. But but for whatever reason, Sunday felt different, and it was neat. And then I hit a decent nine iron after that, and and I was like, okay, maybe you know, I got nervous, and and I was uncomfortable and unfamiliar with this spot, and and that's kind of what happened. But it was, it was, you know, sometimes you don't want people to say anything, but you know, you get the 
everybody's right. got the five cents. You know, yeah, exactly. You know, your your head came up or your head stayed down. I mean, there's a million things you hear, but <laughs> he just says, you know, he was a good player. He said, and he said, I just noticed that that was kind of the first time you really completed your your swing. You know, you were a little quick. So I thought that was cool, and I don't doubt that he was right. Yeah, Damon, I, I Evan knows I harp on the fundamentals, but like I was hitting it on a bad my last couple rounds of the season, and I was just reading Ben Hogan's book, you know, about the grip, and I realized. And I've been taking lessons since I was four years old. My right hand, I'm gripping it in the palm, right? And I'm like, you know, that's not good. It's got to be right more than the fingers, right? So like every time I get a lesson, which is like twice a year, I, it's literally the first 20 minutes. Let's go through the grip. Let's go through the stance. Let's do whip. Like, because those th- that stuff goes away and you don't even realize it. Yeah. And so it's just my way of thinking about some of the mechanics and physical things because the fundamentals, they just, it's not like playing ping pong or shooting a free throw where it just comes right back to you. <laughs> it, go, right. it, it, it Nicholas, goes away and you got to Nicholas would it. say that every, every, every year, Nicholas would go back to his coach, Jack Grout and would say, <laughs> teach me how to play golf. And it was just, <laughs> that was his off season thing. It was everything you just said. It was grip. It was stance. It was posture. It was alignment. Right. Jack Nicholas, you know, the greatest time major <laughs> champ, the greatest, the, the, the golden bear teach me how to play golf. And so every year before we set off on his PJ tour schedule, it was, Rinse and repeat, just everything you said, the fundamentals. Damon, you know what I think would be, we just talked about giving five, you know, five cents, but actually as you were talking, I kept coming back to this. I haven't had a chance to say it. I think the mantras, the reminders to commit, trust, accept, that's great. And we need that because to your point, Sermon, about Jack, you can't assume that you've got it. It's a constant practice. But what I think would be really fun for you to test, and if you haven't listened to the Dr. Joe Parent author of Zen golf interview we did, I would highly recommend it. But one of my favorite things that I always come back to is having, instead of a score as your measure, have a commitment percentage Mm -hmm. as your measure, because I sometimes play a game with myself of if I can commit whatever my goal is, even let's say even 70, 60%, we don't need to be 95 yet, but even just committing on over 70% of my swings and make a little check mark. I bet you I could break 85 or I can break 90. And then what that does is it just raises awareness of, okay, why did I snap hook? Was I not? Oh, I wasn't committed. So, right. right. And I was scared of that tree. I was thinking the about the tree. Yeah. Right. And then you don't mark yeah. that down. And you start to see parallels of good results and commitment. And then you're measuring yourself on an executional thing each round versus score, which score, sometimes you hit a great shot, doesn't go right. Sometimes you hit a terrible yeah. shot, it works out. So, and to Ed's point, that. yeah, you're after the round, you're looking through your whole round and, uh, you know, blocked it right on two, but you're just thinking about why you didn't commit. And it could have been a number of reasons as opposed to like, man, I just My can't swing. get rid of that block. Right. So then yeah. you found 12 lack of commitments. But it's such a great way to track your progress and to just think about your game in the right way. Why was I uncomfortable? I love that. I love that, boys. Because, I mean, listen, my mom is a marriage family and child counselor. You know, listen, the brain is wired to recognize and to think and to observe and to question. And that includes when we're playing a sport like golf, where you're walking and constantly noticing things and, and the actual action of swinging a club is very, a very tiny part 
of what you do. So you almost have to recognize that the thoughts are going to come. Like you, it, it's work. Like you said, like it's easy to say, yeah, target commitment, acceptance, but, but it's work to make it work and to really right. keep those thoughts from creeping in. What am I going to have for dinner on my left heel itches or, or I made triple bogey the last time I played. So I mean, it's easy for those thoughts to come in. Well, and you can't block them. That you, yes. That you, that you, that you, it's just, what do I do with these thoughts? It's a passing, well, Brett, cl- it's a passing McCabe, cloud, right? Yeah. Brett McCabe told us, Damon, he said, you can't tell someone in the military in Iraq to imagine it's North Carolina. Right. right. You have to accept that you're in Iraq. But, you know, that that's part of the acceptance, too, is not just the bad shot acceptance. It's the bad thought acceptance, right? Oh yeah. That's just a habit of a bad thought. That doesn't need to be, that's not me. That's just a, a habit. So I know we're at time, I, Damon, we're going to have to have you back because yeah, Cermak and I hours. wanted to dig into your game. Cermak's a short game wizard. So we oh, can talk awesome. the mental yes, part of the short game with you, but we got to have <laughs> you back at some point. But before we let you go, we always do this. Anything that we've said that you want to leave people with and reiterate, or is there anything that we didn't talk about? Cause you've interviewed a lot of amazing people that you think could help a lot of people that helps you that we want to end today on. I think we were kind of sneaking up on it right, right toward the end here about knowing that the bad thoughts are going to come and that's okay. I, I try to treat those bad thoughts, negative thoughts, like passing clouds, like, you know, almost like you're watching a movie. And like, you know, okay, triple boogie for your last time and let that go and let something else come in. And this is work. Like it's, it's hard work, but it's worthwhile to clear your mind as best you can, to commit as best you can. And that that's a process. You know, Tiger, and I've interviewed Tiger 20 some times probably in, in, in the years I've covered the game. And he would talk about the swing changes that he was working on. It's a process. Well, I think the mental game is a process as well. And this is like new to me and I'm excited about it. Like I feel like I'm for someone who's played for 25 years plus, I feel like I'm in like the first inning of my mental game journey. And that's very exciting. And I think that the listeners, uh, hopefully that they get out of this, the fact that you can get better and it's not always about your golf swing and that nine times out of 10, it may have nothing to do with your golf swing. And, and for someone who's been around a lot of great coaches and they're out there, but this is a, an aspect of the game that I feel like I've ignored to my detriment, but I'm excited about it. And I may take a backward step from time to time and that's okay too. But this is as important to me as having the right grip size or the right clubs and the right shoes. I, I think this is an important part of the game, a hugely important part of the game. And it's important for, for the mid handicapper as, as a, PJ tour winner who's worked on his or her mental game. Damon, isn't golf so humbling, but also so rewarding. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's, you, you think you can't love it anymore or, or hate it anymore. I mean, it's, it's, it's life. It's the sport that mirrors life the most closely. And I didn't think at this 50th year that I would be kind of falling in love with it again. And I have Gideon to thank and for stumbling upon you guys and, and I'm so glad that I gave, they gave you guys a listen because uh, without you guys, I would have gone home from Pebble on Saturday night, Sunday morning, instead of uh, on Monday morning. That means a lot. This was a real yeah. thrill. I, I think this was one of the more powerful, relatable conversations we've had in a while. So thank you for being yeah. 
so vulnerable and sharing. And so if you guys don't follow Damon at Damon hack, GC, Instagram, Twitter, obviously on golf channel, golf today, he's everywhere. I see so, the follower account go way up after this. <laughs> yeah. So thank you again, Damon. We're so happy to have you aboard. We'd love to have you back on again. Yeah, sir. I appreciate it, boys. Yeah. Uh, let's chat again soon. Thank Sounds you. great.